But yeah, Heavenly Father, God, so grateful to be here and to be uh, virtually surrounded by people from all the different parts of the world. Amen. Thank you that we get to come here in the name of Christ and to seek your grace, to seek uh, your truth. We just pray that you would inspire our hearts, that it would be more than just information. It would be a, a cause for transformation. Amen. We thank you for this awesome book and the special time we've had growing in Christ together. We thank you and invite you once again to lead our conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you, Nathan. Okay, so let's go look at chapter 82, Why Are You Weeping? And Nathan, I'm going to put you right on the spot and have you read some of these passages. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Um, So let's have you read Matthew chapter 28. Verses 1 and 5 to 8. We're going to read all of these, by the way, because it's essential to sort of get a feel for all of them so that we can try to harmonize them to make sense out of the sequence. So this is really simple. Just Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, and then verses 5 to 8. Okay. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Picking it up in verse 5. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Amen. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Okay, so that's Matthew chapter 28. Now... Mark 16, 1 to 8, I'll read that. Mark 16, which I think is quite similar to the Matthew account, but we're going to read it anyway since it's short. Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. It says, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen... And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Okay, now Luke 24, 1 to 12. Luke 24, 1 to 12. Nate, I'll turn that over to you. First 12 verses of Luke 24. Okay, here we go. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone and rolled away from the. uh, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they entered and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about, or wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Hmm. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he still was with you in Galilee? 
The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Hmm. Then they remembered the, his words. All the way to 12, is that right? All the way to 12, yeah. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because... Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, <laughs> got, up sorry. And, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Seemed like nonsense. Okay, John chapter 20, final passage here. John chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 18, and I'll read that. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying there Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know that the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Uh, verse 10, then the disciples went away again to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. Now, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have laid him and, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Amen. First of all, can we just say hallelujah? Right? Like, I mean, hallelujah, sweet Jesus. Wow. Amen. Jesus is alive. I just, want, I just feel like I want to just keep saying that over and over again. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Glory. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is not here. By the way, don't you love, in at least three of the four gospel accounts, the angels say, he is not here. And this is what I say about that, Nathan. This is the only time mm -hmm. in history where the absence of Jesus was good news. Yeah, amen. Because <laughs> Jesus' absence is never good news. But yeah. in this one case, in the whole of human history, uh, it was good news that Jesus wasn't there. Amen. The only time that Jesus' absence was good news. So Jesus is alive, and uh, this chapter here, why are you weeping? I'm going to say something right at the outset, and I, I don't want to be misunderstood. And, and if I upset you, 
I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to upset you, but I'm just going to say what occurred to me today when I was reading these two chapters. In the same way that I said yesterday, when this powerful angel appears and rolls back the, to- uh, the stone from the tomb, I said that his presence was superfluous. Now, I didn't mean like he didn't have a role to play and it wasn't an important role, but he was not needed for Jesus to raise up his own life, mm-hmm. right? Like the angel, Jesus is going to do that. We talked about that yesterday. And so I think I explained myself and I want to say something that might be similarly frustrating for you, or maybe you'll understand what I mean by this. Okay, here we go. I'm just going to say it. No more preamble. It kind of feels like Jesus is, the way that he's appearing to people, it feels a little bit like good-natured teasing, right? Like, it's like he appears to these people, and then he doesn't to these people, and then he, you know, like, for example, when we get to the next chapter, he appears to the, you know, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then the moment that they know that he's him, he's like, disappears. (laughs) And, you know, he walks with them on the road and he doesn't let on who he is and he's here with Mary in the garden and she doesn't know who he is and he doesn't let on about who he is until, you know, it's this whole like kind of, I think there was a certain almost playfulness about it and it's very strategic and very Mm -hmm. sequential Mm -hmm. and people are having different experiences. Like Peter and John were just at the tomb and they didn't see the angels. At least the Bible doesn't say anything about them seeing the angels. Uh, They didn't see the angels because when they went back, they thought, no, he's not risen. But then after they leave and Mary remains at the tomb weeping, they get to see the, she gets to see the angels. So anyway, it just feels like it's good natured, strategic, like, like teasing is the wrong word, but Jesus here is appearing, you know, in certain circumstances, in certain ways to certain people. Yeah. And don't you love the, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter. We're going to get to that. But I mean, come on. Oh, absolutely. No, I I love that you grabbed the word strategic. That was something that was really coming to me. It was the word intentional. Mm. That it wasn't kind of how you would picture it being, or it wasn't just kind of like, I'm here, okay. Uh, And everybody has the same experience. It was very, I like the word strategic even better, actually. Because, yeah, he's he's revealing part to some and none to others. and, And it's all with a very intentional... Uh, you know, reasoning of, of why he's why he's doing the it. way that he is. And I hear, I see some people saying that this was all a little bit, yeah, playfulness. Yeah, wholesome yeah. playfulness. I like that. Mm-hmm. And and it, the sequence is a little hard to put together. So I'm going to try to, we'll do our best here to try and figure it out. Um, so let's start by reading paragraph one. <clears throat> you got paragraph one there and why yeah. are you weeping, Nathan? Why don't you read that for us? Okay. Paragraph one. Uh, The women who had stood by the cross of Christ waited and watched for the hours of the Sabbath to pass. On the first day of the week, very early, they made their way to to the tomb, taking with them precious spices to anoint the Savior's body. They did not think about his rising from the dead. The sun of their hope had set, and night had settled uh, settled down on their hearts. As they walked, they recounted Christ's works of mercy and his words of comfort, but they remembered not his words. I will see you again, John 16. Okay, so this is the first clue. It says they went very early in the morning. So they're going before sunrise, right? So Jesus has risen very, very early in the morning. In fact, remember, it was just at the darkest point of the, of the night, mm-hmm. right? And so he's already risen. They're going very early in the morning. It's still dark. And they begin to make their way, but they're not all traveling together. 
Mm-hmm. Right. The women are, you know, some are coming from here and I don't know how many there are. Maybe there's four or five or six or seven or eight, not a large company, mm-hmm. more than three, probably fewer than eight. And uh, so they're kind of making their way from their different homes. Probably some are together, but Mary's by herself. Mary Magdalene is by herself because look at verse or chap, uh, paragraph two. It says, ignorant of what was even then taking place, they drew near to the garden saying as they went, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us, right? They're, they're, they're so faithful. They're so dutiful and responsible. They just want to anoint the body of their loved mm-hmm. Savior and Lord, but they're just moving forward. They have no idea how they're going to get that heavy stone mm-hmm. out of the way. Maybe they think they can talk some of the you know, soldiers, if they even know the soldiers are there. They might not even know that, but or they think they're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says they knew that they could not remove the stone, but they kept on their way. And lo, the heavens were suddenly alight with the glory that came from the rising sun, not from the glory that came from the rising sun. So the sun is just maybe beginning to rise or is about ready to rise. The earth trembled. They saw that the great stone was rolled away and the grave was empty. Okay. So, so these ladies are getting there. They see that the, that the stone is rolled away. Okay. And that the tomb is empty. Now look at the third paragraph. The women had not all come to the tomb from the same direction. Ah, that's a very helpful clue. Mary Magdalene was the first to reach the place. Another extremely helpful clue. And upon seeing the stone was removed, she hurried away to tell the disciples. Meanwhile, the other women came up. Okay, so this is how I imagine this happening. When Mary arrives, she arrives still in the, you know, it's not the full dark, but that sort of dusk or, you know, pre pre-sunrise, kind of, it's somewhat dark. Twilight. Twilight. No, no, what's it, in the morning? Twilight is in the evening, right? Oh, maybe. Anyway, I can't remember. But in the pre-dawn light, and she looks ahead and she sees that the, the, the stone is rolled away. And she does not go up to the tomb. She, she doesn't. She looks and says, oh, no. And, and she, I guess, can kind of see in the tomb or she can tell somehow that, that Jesus isn't there. Because this first time she goes, she does not go into the tomb. Mm-hmm. She just reflexively, instinctively turns around 180 degrees and runs back to tell the disciples. Okay, meanwhile, now that Mary has run away and the other Marys are thinking or the other women think they're going to meet Mary there, but Mary's already come, seen the stone rolled away, and they go. So these women arrive and they actually go up and sort of investigate, right? And they're the ones that see the angel the first time. Mm-hmm. You with me? Uh, a light, it says, uh, meanwhile, the other women came up A light was shining about the tomb, but the body of Jesus was not there. As they lingered about the place, suddenly they saw that they were not alone. A young man clothed in shining garments was sitting by the tomb. And then this is when they realize that he's an angel. And he says, do not be afraid, which is the most frequently repeated command in the Bible, right? Don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. And then he said, I know uh, that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. And then he reminds them, um, I will see you in Galilee, right? Mm-hmm. Tell, you know, he's, he's not here. He'll meet you in Galilee. And then he is risen. He is risen. I'm in the next paragraph there. The women repeat the words again and again. No need for the anointing spices now. Well, oh, I like that. Uh, the Savior is living and not dead. They remember now that when speaking of his death, they had said that he would, he had said that he would rise again. What a day was this to the world. Oh, I love that line. Mm-hmm. Quickly, the women departed from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring the disciples' word. Okay, so Mary comes initially, Mary Magdalene, sees the tomb, does not go up to investigate, immediately turns around to run back to tell the disciples that something has happened to the body of Jesus. 
She doesn't yet believe this is the resurrection. Mm. Not at all. The other, the other women then show up. They go in to investigate. They're lingering around trying to figure out where the body of Jesus was, trying to put the pieces together. Then the angel appears to them and says, he's not here, he's risen. This is the first clue to the disciples, to the women, that uh, the disciples, of course, aren't there, but to the followers of Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that he's risen. Pilate already knows this. The Roman centurions already know this. The religious leaders already know this, but they don't yet know this until now. Mm -hmm. Any comment, Nate? No, I like where you're going. I, I, okay. I've got just, some stuff for later on. Okay, just stay with me. Uh, if, if at any point you want to jump in, just do it. Okay. Now, uh, the next paragraph says, Mary had not heard the good news. Ah, Mary Magdalene had not heard the good news. Mm -hmm. She went to Peter and John with the sorrowful message. Now watch this. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. So now this is the first the disciples are hearing that the tomb is empty. Right, the women got up dutifully, responsibly to go to the tomb to begin the anointing process. The disciples slept in. They were commiserating. They, they didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be at the tomb. It was a reminder of their dashed hopes. But as soon as they hear that the body's been taken, they're, 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 they're anxious. They don't know what to think about. What, what do you mean the body's been taken? Nobody's thinking resurrection yet. Not these guys. Not Peter. Not John. Not Mary. They're just thinking somebody stole the body or the body's gone or yep. whatever. The disciples hurried to the tomb and they found it was just as Mary had said. They saw the shroud and the face cloth, but they did not find their Lord. Um, John goes in, sort of has a look around. And then I love this paragraph here. Yeah. It was Christ himself. Do you have that? It was Christ himself who had placed those grave clothes or grave cloths with such care. When the mighty angel came down to the tomb, he was joined by another who with his company had been keeping guard over the Lord's body. So that's why there's the two angels. Mm. One had always been there. One showed up. Yep. As the angel from heaven rolled away the stone, the other entered the tomb and it unbound the wrappings from the body of Jesus. That's fascinating. But it was the Savior's hand that folded each and laid it in its place. It was uh, in his sight who guides alike the star and the atom. There is nothing uh, unimportant. Amen. Order and perfection are seen in all his works. I love it. Yeah. yeah nothing is unimportant. He takes the time Amen. to fold the grave clothes, right? And to say, okay, I'm done here. I will not be returning. You get a one-star review. Right, <laughs> yeah. Airbnb. The place was cold. It was narrow. It was cramped. There was. This is a, I'm not coming back here. One star review. Oh, Death is going out of business. Right, yeah. and so he folds the clothes and says, "I'm I'm done here." Okay. Then the next paragraph. Mary had followed John and Peter to the tomb. When they returned to Jerusalem, she stayed. Okay. So get this. These three show up. John and presumably John. John and Peter see that the tomb is empty. So they're like, oh no, we got to tell the others. So they go back to Jerusalem. Mary remains. Mm. Yeah? Mary stays there. Looking in, she now sees the two angels. They didn't see the two angels, but Mary does. So the angels now manifest to Mary, mm -hmm. which again, why? Yeah, it's really interesting. Why didn't the angels manifest to Peter and John? I don't, I don't know that, but they mm -hmm. manifest to Mary. Looking in, she saw the two angels one at the head and the other at the foot where Jesus had been. And then the question is, why are, woman, why are you weeping? Oh, I don't know where they've laid my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. The angel must have looked very human-like because she's just like having a conversation. It doesn't say that she's afraid. 
She's just like, oh, well, where do they lay the body of Jesus? If it was a you know, marvelous, magnificent, incandescent angel, she would have had a response like the other women had. So apparently the angels are manifesting a little, a little differently. And the gospels even hint at this, where it says that there was a young man there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then she turned away, even from the angels, thinking that she must find someone. I mean, clearly she doesn't know these are angels because you don't just be like, hey, listen, angel, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I got to find the gardener, yeah. right? They must just have looked like, like caretakers or something, right? Yeah. So she's like, okay, sorry, I'm busy. I've got to find somebody to help me. So then she goes outside of the tomb and she sees another person, just an ordinary person. Mm -hmm. Woman, why are you weeping? And that's, of course, the chapter title. Everybody's asking her this question. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And then I love this. Through her tear-dimmed eyes, Mary saw the form of a man. She didn't recognize his form. And thinking it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, just tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And I love what Ellen White says here. If this rich man's tomb was thought too honorable a burial place for mm-hmm. Jesus, she herself would provide yeah. a place for him. Hallelujah. Yeah. I love the devotion of this woman. Incredible. There was a grave that Christ's own voice had made Ooh. vacant. Come on now, oh, preach. Woo. What a great tie-in. Wow. The grave where Lazarus had lain. She knows just where to bring him. Mm. Might she not there find a burial for her Lord? She felt that to care for his precious crucified body would be a great consolation in her grief. But now, in his familiar voice, Jesus said to her, Mary, And now she knew that it was not a stranger who was addressing her. And turning, she saw before her the living Christ. I just have to say this, and we'll talk about this in our next chapter as well. When Jesus manifests himself, he does it in ways that are not just like, I'm Jesus, here I am. Like with Mary, he just uses the voice. In the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's in the breaking of bread. Like he does these familiar things and they see him. Why? Do you have any idea why, I mean, again, is it just playful stratagem? Like, what, what's the reason for this? I don't know. Okay, That's good. question, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I mean, maybe somebody on there has a really great idea, but it's just like, Jesus is clearly manifesting in very veiled ways. Intentional. In, right? Intentional, yeah. suggestive Strategic. ways. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So now Mary knows. <laughs> Right, so this is how you gotta kinda keep this clear in your mind. This is the second time that Mary's been to the tomb. The first time she went to the tomb, she didn't see the risen Christ, she didn't see the angels. She immediately turned around and went and told Peter and John. Meanwhile, the other ladies come, they do encounter the angels, they run to go tell the disciples. They didn't see the risen Christ though, they only saw the angels. Then Mary and John and Peter show up. John and Peter don't see Jesus, but Mary sees, you you gotta put it all together. Yeah. And now Mary's like, ah, Lord, and she like, throws herself at his feet and just, I guess she must have been hanging on pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, it's like, he's like, take whoa, easy. take it. Because, you know, in the, in the familiar language, many translations say, do not cling to me. Better translation is do not detain me or do not delay me because I have not yet ascended to my father. So he then says, go tell my brothers and your brothers Um, that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary went her way to the disciples with the joyful message. So now Mary is going back, as are the other ladies, but Mary has seen the risen Christ. She's the first follower of Jesus to see the risen Christ. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, powerful. Let let me cut in here. Go ahead, get in there. Get in there. 
I, I didn't see this earlier, and I, I don't know, I haven't put a whole lot of thought into it, but it's a powerful thought just to the significance of the intention of Mary in, and it, just the thought of Jesus taking the place of, that, of Lazarus's. Oh, isn't that so cool? That, that's, it's such a, it kind of is a little encapsulation of the, of the gospel in that Jesus takes our place in the tomb yeah. so that we can be resurrected. And that Lazarus's tomb was left empty because of the power of, of God and because he was going to take the place. Amen. So, yeah. I had the same thought yesterday because yesterday in the chapter that we covered, it describes how Nicodemus and Joseph manifested immediately this like support for the disciples and the support for Jesus. And the tomb that Jesus ends up in was the tomb that was Joseph's tomb. Yeah. Like it's where he was going to go. Wow. Yes. And so he's, so he's like, Hey, I I got, I got the perfect place. I'll find a place for myself. Mm -hmm. And then he puts Jesus in there. So I love the idea of the substitution. Yep. Right. Like, Oh, that's so good. And I love the fact that Ellen White remembers that she's like, Mm -hmm. look, if this, if this is too, if this rich man's tomb is, is too nice and posh and luxurious for my, you know, crucified. I mean, if you were crucified, you were on the lowest end of the social. I mean, they were lucky to even get the body of Jesus. Normally these guys were just chucked in, you know, the, the city dump or something or thrown to the beasts. Mm-hmm. So they were lucky to have the body of Jesus. And so she's thinking, well, maybe, maybe this is too nice a tomb for a crucified malefactor, peasant, yeah. for a peasant, for yeah. a nobody, for yeah, an imposter, for a counterfeit. And then she's like, I know just where to put him. Wow. Isn't yeah. that incredible? Yeah, that is powerful. And I, I think, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. No, nope. so. <laughs> steal all of it. Steal every bit of it. Okay, why is this so significant? And why am I so glad that you're taking the time to yeah. go through all the yeah, sequence yeah. of this? Because I think this is an objection that a lot of critics have towards Scripture. It's true. They take the Gospels and they see that there's different details and things are explained in different ways. And what's so powerful about how, and I, I, I'm, I'm liking the word weave, so, ooh, good word. Ellen White is weaving the stories that we have revealed to us through Scripture into a beautiful basket, a beautiful, complete picture, not leaving anybody out. Not leaving. Mm. She does this with you know many of the parables yeah. and things in the exactly the, the supposed um, contradictions, contradictions. And, and, and challenges. She harmonizes. She harmonizes it beautifully into one full picture, and you see that there's. There's more, it's multifaceted. When you yeah. put the, the story together, it's multiple visits to the, to the Correct. tomb. And it's, it's multiple revelations of the... And different kinds and, of revelations. And, and in manifesting in different ways. And, yet, and so when we come to Scripture, we've got to realize that it's, it's 3D. Ooh, Nate, man, you're doing yeah. really well for being so tired. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way yeah. to say it. Because we often read a very yeah. flat, two-dimensional narrative, yes. but there's depth, there's space, there's yeah. structure. Oh. And, yeah, and so we, we start to see how the, the, the Gospels and how Scripture as a whole, you know, blends together into this beautiful whole picture. And uh, when we get uh, nearsighted and when mm. we get critical and when we get an- too analytical or when we start, you know, picking pieces apart. When we come from a platform of yeah, doubt, we're looking for something. Skeptical perspective and we're trying to pick it apart to prove how it's wrong, it... Uh, it, yeah, it loses its three-dimensional quality. Yeah. And a basket's exactly yeah. the right thing for it because a basket's three-dimensional, right? Like it mm-hmm. has depth, it has space, it has height, it has width. It contains something. Because the first time I read through it, I was like, I'm confused. And, and there's still some more. There's still some <laughs> more here. I took the time to <laughs> unweave this because I was feeling the same way. Okay, so, uh, so Mary then, 
let's see, I'm in the paragraph that begins, while the Savior was in God's presence, receiving gifts for his church, the disciples thought upon his empty tomb and mourned and wept. The day that was a day of rejoicing to all heaven was to the disciples a day of uncertainty, confusion, and perplexity, their unbelief and the testimony of the women. Okay, so now the women have gotten back to the disciples, made the report, and as you read there, they just think that this is nonsense. They, mm-hmm. they, they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. It, it, it sounds hysterical to them. And by the way, just a point on what Nathan talked about, the critics sort of raising mm-hmm. objections to the veracity and believability of the resurrection. Well, here's a great one. One of the sort of markers of historical veracity that historians look for, they have a number of criteria that they sort of evaluate. And one of those criterion is what's called the criterion of embarrassment. The criterion of embarrassment. And what that means is is if something is recorded that is potentially embarrassing to the cause or to the protagonist, very often over decades or centuries, those potentially embarrassing details will be redacted out. They'll be edited out so that what you have is this really, you know, seamless, airbrushed, perfect uh, picture of everything. So what you would not have done if you were going to make this story up, if the disciples were just manufacturing this story, you would not have several things. Number one, you wouldn't have Jesus getting crucified. Let's just start there. You wouldn't have your (laughs) primary protagonist getting crucified, number one. Number two, you wouldn't have the disciples totally confused and stupid and bewildered and denying, <laughs> sleeping in. Sleeping in. Yeah. You wouldn't have that. Number three, you would not have the tomb, which is the very point. The empty tomb is the punchline here. Mm-hmm. You would not have the empty tomb being discovered empty by women. Because in the time of Jesus, in the days of Jesus, women were not even allowed to, to be credible or reliable witnesses in a Jewish court of law. Right? So it had to be men. That's right. Right? Which is tragic and terrible. But the point is, is that if you were going to invent a story, create a story, manufacture a story, and you were trying to make the story as believable and as credible as possible, you wouldn't have had the tomb being discovered empty by women. And yet the fact that all four Gospels say the same thing, historians look at that and say, well, that's likely true. Because you wouldn't have made that up. If you're going to make up a story, you wouldn't have put that detail in. That's what's called the criterion of embarrassment. So it's a very, very good reason to believe that the story is exactly as reported yeah. because you wouldn't have made that part up. Okay, Excellent. so uh, the, the disciples don't believe it. They're uh, trying to come to grips with the nonsense that the women are communicating. They think they're hysterical. They're trying to figure out where the body could have gone. Maybe the religious leaders came so that they could further humiliate it or they don't know says the news of Christ's resurrection was so different from what they had anticipated, they could not believe it. It was too good to be true. Isn't that good? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Too good to be true. That's what a lot of people say today, right? That's one of the major objections today, Nate. Let's be honest. Oh, there's a God and he's in heaven and he's good and he forgives our sins and people get to live forever. Yeah, right, fairy tale. That literally, one of the major critiques against the faith of scripture, the, the religion of scripture, the truth of Jesus is... It's all too good to be true. It's all, you know, a nice sounding fairy tale. I wish it were true, but it can't be true. But I like to say that it's too good not to be true. It's just a story that's just too good not <laughs> yeah, to be true. true. Yeah, I really what do like you got? that. I, I think that's something, as we go down, so I think we've, we've hit on one. Yeah. So the, 
the disciples, the and Mary and the Magdalene, I mean, all, all disciples, they're, they're searching after Christ, but mm. there's certain barriers to their discovery. Mm. And so one of those barriers, and I want to kind of highlight them as we're going through, so I, I see that as being one of the barriers, mm. is this too good to be true, or this skepticism towards, uh, yeah, just the a, testimony of the women. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there, I think... There's many to be drawn out, but that's that's a, a good one. Start making note of that's a good one. Okay. What is a barrier to our faith in Christ, which to, is we're saved by grace through faith, and so that faith is so critical. And anything that's diminishing our our faith in God's word, our faith in God's story, our faith in God's character is becoming a hindrance to salvation. Preach, beautiful. How about this line in the end of that paragraph? That same paragraph I was in there, page nine twenty nine seven ninety three of the original. This line is fascinating. It says, they scarcely knew what the resurrection from the dead could mean. They were unable to take in the great subject. She says that their minds had been confused by the teachings of the Sadducees and the conflict that they had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees affirmed the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. She says that they had found some of the arguments of the Sadducees persuasive over time. And that when the whole notion of the resurrection, they're like, what does that even mean? Like, you're talking about some concept that they can't get their heads around. And uh, then the next paragraph, but go, the angels had said to the women, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now here's another thing, and maybe you guys have an answer to this, because I don't have an answer to this. In at least two, maybe three of the four gospel accounts, the specific message is, Go to Galilee and Jesus will meet you there. But they don't meet Jesus in Galilee. They meet Jesus in Jerusalem. Hmm. The upper room is in Jerusalem. Like Galilee is far to the north. Galilee's significant ways away. And yet Jesus meets them in the upper room in Jerusalem. Interesting. Never. I, I, I don't. Maybe <laughs> I'm. Am I missing something there? Let me know if I'm missing something because two or three of the gospel accounts say he'll see you in Galilee. Yeah. But he actually shows up to them. Like, he doesn't meet the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Galilee. He meets them in Emmaus. Huh. So I was a little Because Galilee's far to the north. That's where Jesus, up by Nazareth, and where Jesus spent much of his ministry. So, anyway, if somebody's got an idea there, let me know. Yeah, yeah, I agree, Johnny. Johnny says Jesus wanted to take them back to where it all began. I agree. Totally agree. But that's not where Jesus shows up. Interesting. When Jesus shows up in the upper room... That's not in Galilee. That's in Jerusalem. It's, I think it's probably the same place that they'd had the Last Supper. Hmm. So I'm looking on here for some breakthrough. They do meet him in Galilee sometime after. Of course, yeah, later. Of course, that's true. Later they will be in Galilee together. Hmm. But, oh, somebody says the other disciples beside the 11. I think that's another important point. The disciples were not initially all together in the same place, obviously, because when Mary shows up, she gets Peter and John. But it's unthinkable that the 11 were there and only Peter and John went. No, Mary went to Peter and John. The other women probably went to the other disciples. They were in different places, just like the women were in different places as they went to the tomb. So they're trying to kind of round them up. They're not all having a big slumber party. They're all discouraged. They want to be a part. They don't want to be around the people that remind them of the you know, the fact that the sun had just set on their faith. So they were separate. And that's part of the reason. To, let's see if anybody else got anything here. Does Galilee represent something, faithfulness? The disciples were hiding in Jerusalem. Yeah, this is right, Kendra. Anyway, I just thought it was fascinating. You know, he says again and again, 
Go to Galilee, go to Galilee, go to Galilee. But where Jesus actually appears to them is in Jerusalem. And I wonder if it's one of those kind of uh, conditional prophecy type of deals where you're, this is the intention that God is, uh, I want you to meet in Galilee. Mm-hmm. And eventually they do meet up in mm-hmm. Galilee. But because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith, because of their hiding up in the upper room, you know, uh, that he actually then goes the extra mile and shows up to where meets them first meets them where they are. Yeah, I think that's right. Somebody says here, she later mentions that all the disciples met in Gallipoli. No, it wasn't Gallipoli. (laughs) (laughs) Spell check. Spell check. Um, No, you mean Galilee. I get it. That's right. They will eventually meet up in Galilee. I just think it's interesting that the angels say that. He said he'd meet you in Galilee. Oh, that's a major theme. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Okay, there you will see him. Go. Can I go back? So we passed one of the things that I really wanted to dig into a little bit here. So so right after it was too good to be true, you you then um, read the last part of that. But let me go back. It says, right... um, so a paragraph that starts with, while the Savior was in God's presence. Yep, there, I'm there. Uh, last couple of sentences. says, they had heard so much of the doctrines of the so-called scientific theories of the Sadducees that the impression made on their minds in regard to the resurrection was vague. That's right. They scarcely knew what the resurrection from the dead could mean. They were unable to take... Uh, in the great subject. Okay, yeah, exactly. So this is this is interesting, and, and maybe you would know the answer to this, but I, I don't know if scientific thought was like a, a real big movement. No, not in, as we know it today. Time. No. So I think she's using a specific word, the scientific word, because it was a big deal in the 1800s. Sure. When you're coming out of the Enlightenment, you have higher criticism entering in. So I think she's choosing uh, very deliberately a word that would make sense to the contemporaries that's reading this. That mm. she's, it's a little jab, it's a little uh, revelation to oh, those gotcha. that are putting their trust and, and faith no, into no scientific, logical de- deduction, you know, and uh, because that was the conditional. Rem- yeah. Remember that in Matthew chapter 22, when the uh, Sadducees tempt Jesus, not tempt, when they test Jesus, they say there was a woman and she had these seven husbands. In other words, they created a dilemma that they thought disproved mm-hmm. the legitimacy or the believability of the resurrection. They said, look, we disproved it. And then Jesus cuts through all that and mm-hmm. says, well, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are like the angels of heaven. My point is, yeah. they were using these philosophical exactly. concepts and ideas to undermine the truth of God's mm-hmm. word. And so I think you're exactly right. She's yeah. purposefully using that word, mm-hmm. these, what does she say, so-called scientific theories, yep. As she's writing in the late 1800s, because that was very much, I mean, you know, the, the Darwin, for example, you know, writes his uh, uh, Origin of Species in, what, 1859. So this is very much in the air, right? Post-enlightenment, you know, the dawn of evolutionary thought. And so I think what, what she's essentially doing is pegging this, uh, or calling the Sadducees out in their, uh, as the higher critics of Jesus' mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she's saying that when we, and she actually gets a lot into, in, into this in her writings, showing how our education, we've got to be careful with the kind of education that we rece- yeah. we're Agree. receiving. So I'm, uh, I'm throwing this out there. I, this is something that's been really interesting over the last few weeks. I've been digging back into, I'm, I'm working on a, a, a doctoral thesis on 
education for missionaries. Okay. And I love it. The, the basic idea is looking at the possible hindrances of Western education that was kind of derived out of the Enlightenment on the way that we train our current day missionaries. missionaries. Yeah, gotcha. So when we're, we're teaching people like skepticism and uh, rationalism and empiricism and naturalism and all of these, these uh, kind of, or humanism, all of these things are actually making it more difficult for us to understand the miraculous nature mm. and beautiful it like screams story. miracles exactly. away. Yeah. It, it, that, that's kind of what she's saying here. That's yeah, your point. Exactly. Great point. Because she's saying that they couldn't even get their mind around the idea of resurrection yep. because their minds have been clouded by these presuppositional ideas. Yes. And that's what's happening today. Man. That's what's happening today. People today exactly. are not seeing God, not because he's not available and visible in his created works and yep. in the revelation through miracles and by his spirit, but because people have just decided at the outset, well, that can't happen because of all the reasons, reductionism, materialism, humanism, all the empiricism. Exactly. So what's interesting is that you start digging into some of this missiological writings and they're, they've come to the conclusion that a lot of these people groups that we're trying to reach are actually more, their worldview is more compatible with scripture. And so we're coming in with a very scientific kind of progression of trying to uh, put our beliefs into propositions and, and use all of these. We're things. answering questions that they don't even have. And they, they, they're just wondering, you know, how do I have power over these demons? These demons, keep, these that spirits. That tormenting me. And they're, right. they're very aware of the spiritual realm that we have become much more clouded and, yeah. and kind of confused about. And you're doing a doctorate in this. I'm, I'm uh, dabbling in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you for pointing that yeah. out. No, that's great stuff. So I guess the, the point here is this is another one of those barriers. So we need to be careful with the kind of education. So we, we should test our education uh, that we're receiving for wherever it might be. Does it make it more, it, does it make it easier to believe revealed the revealed word? Or does yeah. it make it more Preach. difficult? Preach, am I becoming more uh, a believer in Scripture, or am I becoming less of a believer in Scripture? We need to be testing our education and seeing if it's leading us closer to Christ or further away. Brilliant. He becomes the litmus test. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. So this is the part about go tell the disciples and Peter. These angels had been okay. Can, I'm turning the page here. And Peter. And Peter. She says this again and again. Mm. Um, and of course, the reason, right, exactly. to state the obvious is that Peter has denied his Lord. Yeah. Oh, what do you got there, Andrew? Right. Such an interesting thought for global mission work. Amen. Andrew, great to see you, buddy. Um, so Peter had been, had denied his Lord. And so Peter mm -hmm. might have thought if Jesus had just given a general invitation to the disciples that Peter might have self-excluded, mm -hmm. right? But when it says mm -hmm. the disciples and Peter, just yeah. can you imagine how his love, heart would have thrilled when he heard that? that? Can you imagine? And I, I put my name into that because I have failed and fallen and done mm -hmm. stupid things and, you know, in my own way, denied my Lord with cursing and swearing. And I just imagine that the, the, the messengers come to me and say, tell the disciples and David. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> tell the disciples and Nathan. Yeah. Yes. Amen. We all need to put our name there. Tell the disciples and put your name in there. Amen. Um, he has not cast them off. Uh, then I'm in the paragraph there that begins with, uh, tell his disciples and Peter, page 930. When Mary Magdalene told them she had seen the Lord, she repeated the call to the meeting in Galilee and a third message was sent to them. Okay, so you're like, a third message? Yeah. What's the third message? I'll come back to that. After he had ascended to the Father, Jesus appeared to the other women 
saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So, so this third message is actually kind of an interesting one. So what are the three messages? So the first message is Mary's initial message, right? Remember, she went to the tomb. She turns around and says, Jesus is gone. The second message is the other women that came that saw the angels, but not the risen Lord. And they say, the body of Jesus is gone and he's risen. That's the second message. Hmm. The third message now is where Mary comes and says, the Lord is risen. We've seen him. We've seen him. Mm-hmm. And it, you can imagine how Peter and John could have easily doubted this because... They say, Mary, we were just there with you. Mm-hmm. There were no angels. There was no Jesus. Because remember, those three went together. And then those two went back to Jerusalem, Peter and John, and Mary remained. So it does sound a little like, you know, sandcastle building or, you know, dreaming, you know, making stuff up. She's like, no, 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 no. Trust me. After you left. And they're like, come on. Really? Like, we were there. We saw it. We don't know where the body of Jesus is. Wow. This isn't a time for games. So three times the message had been given to them. Wow. And uh, it's incredible, right? Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> then she says that Christ's first work on earth after the resurrection was to convince his disciples of his undiminished love and tender regard for them, yeah. right? He, to give them proof that he was their living savior, that he had broken the shackles of the tomb and could no longer be held by the enemy death to reveal that he had the same heart of love as when he was with them as their beloved teacher. He appeared to them again and again. Mm -hmm. He would draw the bounds of love still closer around them. Go tell my brothers, he said, to meet me in Galilee. And as we said, he stayed that night in that Airbnb. He said, no, I'm not going back there. Zero stars, (laughs) whatever the lowest review you can give, whether it's one star or zero stars. And he says, I've broken the shackles of the enemy that is death. And then he starts appearing in these strategic you know, weaving ways, and it's beautiful. So I, I think the we start to discover the reasoning behind this as I think that's why it ties in so nicely with the next chapter. Yep. Too, because there's a there's an the intention I'm I'm gathering from that is that Jesus realizes he's going to ascend back to his father. Yeah. And he realizes that he's not gonna be there in the flesh holding their hand mm. uh, like he has for the last three and a half years. And so he's kind of trying to wean them off the having to like touch him and, oh, and, okay. and heal him and gotcha. And, and so I mean, you see clearly he does that with the with, with the, Thomas, yeah, very. And then with yeah, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And that, oh, that's a powerful point. I'm, I'm excited to get to that. But yeah, this is the same kind of thing. So this is what I'm wondering is why he doesn't just show up and like, okay, guys, I'm here. Remember, I told you this. He's wanting to kind of draw them out. He's wanting to mm, like uh, teach them to to trust, teach them to believe. And he, he does scold Thomas, right? He says, yeah. Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who don't believe and yet believe, or don't, don't, don't see, see and, yet and, yet, and yet they believe. And no, so I great. think that's why he's not just appearing to them because he's saying, hey, I want you to trust your your sisters. I want you to trust the, the revelation yeah. that I'm giving to another brother. It's actually teaching them, and then I'm just thinking of this now, he's teaching them how to now operate as a church. 
Hmm. Relying on the word of one another, the testimony of one another, the experience of one another. Yes. Man, I like that. Powerful. I, I hadn't thought of that. Until wow, I like that a lot. Rather than to be dependent on that. that the you know, one the, source. The one Jesus source. is sort of spreading himself out here, which of course he's going to do by the Spirit. But the Spirit yeah. manifests through the experience and testimonies and yep. individual perspectives of other believers. Exactly. That's a really good build point. that trust in, in the message that is being given to you not directly all the time, but is being given to one, and we as a body need to grow uh, an appreciation for how God can reveal truth through somebody else to, to us. Beautiful. And you know, you just think about it. Like, how did it feel to the women when the disciples are like, stop with this nonsense? <laughs> yes, yeah, Just stop it. Like one of the translations says, it wow. seemed to them like idle tales. I mean, the women would have been exasperated. They're looking at one another Seriously. like, we saw what we saw. We experience what we experience, and here these deadbeats won't believe us. And it's a, oh. it's, it is a lesson to us. Wow. Because I'll be honest with you, like oh. sometimes people come and tell me stories, and I'm like, I'm a pastor, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm sure this, <laughs> this probably isn't true. So what's powerful is he's choosing deliberately choosing to reveal himself more greatly to the weaker. In the in the eyes of wow, the, Nathan, yeah. that's a great point. To to the ones in society, and then they time. report to the strong. Yep. God has chosen the foolish things of the world yes. to confound the wise. Wow. Yeah. Teaching them and the weak things to confound to honor, the strong. To honor the the weaker sex. To 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 listen and to to grow from that. Because they could have had a strong sense of self-sufficiency. Totally. Like if Jesus has just appeared to them, they're like, yeah, 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 of course. But it's when it's a, then they have to doubt. That's a great point. Then this now makes sense challenges of why. The prejudice. Yep. Challenges the prejudice. It makes sense as to why he's, this is the answer, I think, in part to the strategy of it all. Mm -hmm. Like I said at the beginning, like the teasing and the playfulness, but I think there's, it's more intentional than that. And I think you might be onto it. Mm -hmm. It's to give them an opportunity to lean into the experience and the testimony and the words of others, particularly those the weaker. that were the weaker and the yeah. easiest to write off. Yeah. Because it literally says in the Gospels yeah. that, that these reports seemed to them like nonsense, like, like idle tales. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yet it was the greatest good news in the whole universe. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Um, so I do want to read this point here of, uh, this is like the fourth to the last paragraph or third to the last it says, and all the time, uh, these two paragraphs are incredible, and all the time they might have been rejoicing in the knowledge of a risen Savior. All that time. In the garden, Mary had stood weeping when Jesus was close beside her. Her, her eyes were so blinded by tears that she did not discern him. And the hearts of the disciples were so full of grief that they did not believe the angels' messages or the words of Christ himself. Yeah. Next paragraph. How many are still doing what these disciples did? I love the application yeah. here. How many echo Mary's despairing cry? They have taken away my Lord and we don't know where they have laid him. To how many might the Savior's words be spoken? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mm. He is close beside them, but their tear-blinded eyes do not discern him. He speaks to them, but they do not understand. This is back to your point about the scientific theories. God is revealing himself to yep. people in ways that they could know if they would know, mm -hmm. but when they have so screened any possibility of God speaking to them directly, powerfully, miraculously, mm. then they don't see what they refuse to see. Have you ever... There's no blindness like willful blindness. Yeah, no, exactly. Have you ever uh, listened to Unbelievable, the podcast or the radio station out of uh, London? Oh, uh, with uh, N.T. Wright? 
No. No. Well, yeah, he's on there. He's on there sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I have, li- I've not listened to a lot yeah, of it, but uh, I know. Briarly, I guess is the. Yeah. 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 I know who you're talking he about. He interviews a lot of uh, skeptics and a lot of atheists and agnostics and things like that. And so I've listened to a lot of these podcasts and it's interesting that one of the things that they often, he often will ask these atheists or skeptics is he'll say, what would it take? Right. You're an atheist. You, you believe what would there's it take? no God. What would it take? And they often, with more often than not, they'll say, "There, there's nothing that could that God could do." Because so, so he'll say, "Okay, so if God wrote it on the sky, right? He took no." They say there'd be a natural explanation. It's an illusion. So that's exactly what it says right here. The disciples, even when the women declared that they had seen the Lord, the disciples would not believe. They thought them under an illusion. Fascinating. So it shows the power of the human mind to for self self deception. And when we are uh, committed to being skeptic, skeptics, when we're committed to being unbelieving, and when we're, and that's one of the dangers I think that we have in our Western education is that we sometimes uh, glorify skepticism. We glorify doubt. And so yeah. we, we become more and more entrenched in doubting everything. Doubt and, becomes a virtue, a special virtue. Exactly. Ellen White actually says in one place that doubt becomes a special virtue in the minds mm-hmm. of many. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point because we proceed from the platform of skepticism, from the platform of doubt, mm-hmm. and unless and until we are convinced by, you know, miraculous, yep. you know, some undeniable sign, then we're always going to be able to explain away. Well, what if it's what if God's not in the fire? What if He's not in the wind? What if He's not in the earthquake? What if He's in the still small voice? Mm-hmm. And you see that as a consistent message that Jesus is trying to teach. So even when Peter is sinking into the into the ocean or yeah, into, into the, the sea, into the sea right? of Galilee. And uh, he's crying out or, or, you know, the storms are happening and in other occasions. And he's, it kind of dumbfounds you because he's like, why did you doubt? It's like, duh, why did I doubt? I was about to die. <laughs> you know, the storm was crashing over. And yet he's continuously saying, why doubt? Why, why question? Why have this, this uh, outer shell that prevents you? And so there's that... We see, we see Christ accommodating our doubts, praise the Lord. Amen. Because we've got Thomas, show, him showing up to Thomas. But, so he's, he accommodates, he reveals himself, but it's reluctantly, and it's with a little bit of uh, regret in his heart that we wouldn't believe more readily. That's I, why we need to become like little children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That preach. Ten, that tendency to believe first. I have met a number of scientists over the years and have read books from scientists who say that it was actually their, their study of the natural world and of the scientific enterprise that led them to God. Yeah. Maybe. So the fascinating thing about that is that you have these cosmologists that are both looking at the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're both using the same telescopes. This, they're making the same observations. But one reads skepticism, atheism, materialism, and the other reads God, creation, exactly. design, teleology. So, so, and you see mm-hmm. it, and it, it's not just cosmology. You see biologists mm-hmm. that do it, and you see yep. anthropologists that do it. They're, astronomers. They're make, astronomers. Yep. They're making the same observations, but if the, if the heart is open to the Spirit, yep. then God speaks to them in ways that are foolishness yeah. to those whose hearts are not open to it. Oh. Man, and, and just just to keep this in mind, right? The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but yes. but love edifies. And so when we become wise, that's why the Bible over and over says, "Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path." 
We mm. need to be teachable. We need to become, and that's why Jesus didn't choose the scribes and the Pharisees as his disciples because they were they were too too filled, self-absorbed. First Corinthians one talks about there was no room. Yeah, can, can, exactly. Consider your calling, brethren. We're, not many of you were wise. Not many of noble birth. Not many, but God chose the things that are nothing to bring to to not the things that are. The things that are. So wow. we, we really need to develop that kind of childlike faith humility and humility to 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 be learned i love that i saw a post recently from ty gibson and he was saying that you know of the total amount of if you added up all the scientific knowledge that we know relative to all the knowledge that there is to know (laughs) yes we know like one percent yeah and then and he just kept saying and you cannot say definitively as people do like the people that you were describing on the podcast that God, that I case. know enough to say absolutely, definitively, mm-hmm. you know, what's called a, a, a what is it, a, to affirm an absolute negative. Mm-hmm. There is no God. Yeah. Now, come on, what do you, you sound like a damned fool. Yeah. Right? This is why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Mm-hmm. You don't, we have access to so little yeah. of the actual yeah. available. Years ago, I met um, oh. this guy. It was an incredible story. He, he was in my house. I've preached about him a couple times. But he was, uh, um, physicist. He was a quantum physicist and he had become a follower of Jesus through my preaching, Ty's preaching and reading C.S. Lewis. Hmm. And he said to me, I have three spiritual fathers. His name was Jan, uh, Hans. And he said, uh, I have three spiritual fathers, you, Ty Gibson and C.S. Lewis. And I was like, well, that's good company. And we ended up having an incredible conversation, but he was one of the scientists that told me that it was precisely his study of his area of specialty. And he had had his PhD. He was a big shot. He was like working in nanotechnology and all kinds of wild stuff. And he said, oh no, it was the study of this that led me to say, there's gotta be a creator. That's awesome. And um, okay, let's finish. One one last thing, I'm sorry. I wanna finish that chapter. The Pharisees, um, again, they were the ones that were at risk of uh, committing the unpardonable sin. Uh, when Jesus is talking about the unpardonable sin, it's actually in the context of them misconstruing the work of the Holy Spirit. They, they're saying, you know, Jesus is revealing the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're saying he has a demon. Uh. He's Beelzebub. He's, and so they're mix, mischaracterizing the power of God as the power of Satan. And in their, in their, in their puffed up, uh, you know, self-absorbed condition, as judge and as uh, arbiter, right, they are at risk of completely... Uh, grieving away the Holy Spirit. Wow, incredible. So our our self-confidence, our self, uh, to be able to cast judgment on the Son of God, right, in this in this state, Whoa. is, and so when we have the, the audacity or the boldness to say, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's, you know, we're putting ourselves in a dangerous place. We need to be really uh, discerning in, in what we're writing off because it doesn't fit into our box. We need to be teachable. Well said. Thank you. Um, okay, I'm going to read the last paragraph of this chapter. Oh, that the bowed head might be lifted, that the eyes might be opened to behold him, that the ears might listen to his voice. Amen. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen. Bid them look not to Joseph's new tomb that was closed with a great stone and sealed with the Roman seal. Christ is not there. Look not upon the empty sepulcher, mourn not as those who as as hopeless and who are hopeless and helpless Jesus lives and because he lives we shall live also from grateful hearts 
From lips touched with holy fire, let the glad song ring out. Christ is risen. Mm -hmm. He lives to make intercession for us. Grasp this hope and it will hold the soul like a sure tried anchor. Believe and you will see the glory of God. That's it right there, Nathan. That's that's your point. Sun, Believe yeah. and you will see the glory of God. Glory! Not, a, exactly not it. oh, God will reveal his glory to you yep. and then you'll believe. Yep. Believe and you will see. We heard, we've all heard oh, the saying, I won't believe it unless I see it. Yep. It's actually more true that you won't see it unless you believe it. That's exactly right. That is 100% right. Okay, now what we're going to do, we normally would divide this up, but I'm just going to roll this right into the next chapter because these are really the same chapter. I mean, they are different in chapter 82 and chapter 83, but we're going to sort of hustle through this one a little bit. Great. And um, Nate, could you be so kind as to read through us, read through for us um, Luke 24, <clears throat> Luke chapter 20. Do you prefer the New King James or you're happy with that? Oh, this is fine, yeah. So Luke 24, 13 to 33. So we're just, we're just motoring right into the next chapter uh, because these are really... Same, same. Two parts of the, two okay. halves of the same whole. Okay. 24, starting what, what verse? 13 to 33. 13 to 33, okay. Now the same uh, day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their face downcast. One of them named uh, Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened Keep going, I'm just checking there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and in deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to the, and sentenced to death, sentenced him to death, but they crucified him. But he had hoped that they, uh, they had, oh, I'm sorry. We had hoped? But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Mm. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the, uh, some of our uh, women, <laughs> amazed us. It's always those women. <laughs> they, they went to with the their tomb. idle tales and nonsense, <laughs> right? I mean, even you can kind of almost hear sort of the, you know... Baffling. Yeah, yeah. the... the Condescension. You know, they're just like, yeah. even some of the women. They're not, not going <laughs> to believe what these women were saying. Exactly. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels and said uh, he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. AKA, the report of the women was not, right? I mean, that's what they're, that's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. They told us a story about angels and all that, but we the guys went, they didn't verify. see any of that. Yeah, that's good, good insight. All right, he said to them, how foolish are you? There's that, that not um, catering to yeah, that yeah, skepticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How slow to believe, not how slow to see. Exactly. How slow to believe. Come on. There it is. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter uh, his glory? The beginning with, and beginning with Moses. By the way, when he asked that question, they would have been like, 
Right? Because he says to them, hey, didn't the Messiah have to suffer all these things before <laughs> yeah, he entered exactly. into glory? They would have been like, who is this guy? <laughs> no. Right? Because they're where like... you read that? Yeah. Exactly. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if... Hey, have a great night, We're fellas. Going farther. Yeah, Take exactly. care. It's great walking with you. I'm just going to keep walking, even though it's night now. <laughs> exactly. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it again to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then he disappeared. Well, yep. <laughs> so this is one of the, yeah. is that it? No, it's still. Oh, okay. go ahead. Go so ahead. they asked each other where, uh, we're not our hearts burning within us. Yeah, though. that's he right. talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. Uh, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. When the two, uh, uh, then the two, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them by them when he broke the bread. So they go back. It's an eight-mile walk. Yeah. So they walk, 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 having this conversation. They get there. Jesus breaks the bread in such a way that they, you know, just like the voice with Mary, mm-hmm. like Mary, Rabboni, you know. Yeah. Jesus breaks the bread in such a way that they recognized him and they were like ready to turn in for the evening and they were so lighted up, they were so on fire, they just went just yeah. running Love back. It. Okay, so um, I mean, this is, a, this is almost a self-explanatory. This is a short, short chapter because the, mm-hmm. the section is so self-explanatory. Um, let's sort of motor through this. So it says here, uh, paragraph one, late in the afternoon of the day of the resurrection, two of the disciples were on their way to Emmaus, a little town eight miles from Jerusalem. The disciples had no prominent place in Christ's work, but they were earnest believers in him. They had come to the city to keep Passover. They were greatly perplexed by the events that had recently taken place. They had heard the news of the morning in regard to the removal of Christ's body from the tomb and also the report of the women who had seen angels and had met Jesus. They were now returning to their homes to meditate and pray. Sadly, they pursued their evening walk talking over the scenes of the trial and the crucifixion. Never before had they been so utterly disheartened, hopeless and faithless. They were walking in the shadow of the cross, not in the light of the resurrection, but they're walking in the shadow of the cross. Fascinating. Um, They had not advanced far in their journey when they were joined by a stranger, but they were so absorbed in their gloom and disappointment that they did not observe him closely, like Mary in the garden. A lot of similarities here. They continued their conversation, expressing the thoughts of their hearts. They were reasoning in regard to the lessons that Christ had given them, which they seemed unable to comprehend. And as they talked to the events that had taken place, Jesus, I love this, longed to comfort them. But why doesn't he? But it's back to your point. Exactly. Such a great one. Exactly. He had seen their grief. Mm -hmm. He understood the conflicting, perplexing ideas that brought to their minds the thought, can this man who suffered himself to be so humiliated be the Christ? Their grief could not be restrained, and they wept. Jesus knew that their hearts were bound up with him in love, and he longed, second time now, to wipe away their tears and fill them with joy and gladness, but he must first give them the lessons they would never forget. So he's not going to let their faith be in a miraculous manifestation. It's got to be in Scripture. Yep. 
Okay, let me let me take off on that. Go. That's exactly what stood out to me in this chapter was that he's restraining his natural inclination, his natural desire to comfort, to dry their tears, and to just reveal himself to them. So he's showing some restraint. Why? Purposeful restraint. Obviously, but he's you're going to unpack that. Yeah, exactly. So he right here well he says so that they could have a lesson that they would never forget never forget so there's something in the way that he's going to reveal himself that is uh, uh, a lesson for the for the ages mm. um, let me pick it up can i skip ahead yeah right? of course all right uh, let me see how many paragraphs am i in it's uh it's begins three, with what three or four paragraphs again ahead. how does it begin beginning at moses gotcha i'm there beginning at moses the very alpha of the bible history Christ expounded on the scriptures the things concerning himself. Had he first made himself known to them, their hearts would have been satisfied. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's restraining himself. They would have loved it. They would have, they, they would have immediately surpassed the lesson, right? They would, they would have missed the lesson and they would have gotten straight to the answers. They, they would have been, yeah, exactly. They would have been in so much bliss and, and joy and excitement that they wouldn't have caught the lesson that he's trying to teach them. What is the lesson? Uh, it says, uh, it uh, in the fullness of their joy, they would have hungered for nothing more. Woo! But it was necessary for them to understand the witness born to him by the types and prophecies of the Old Testament. Upon these, their faith must be established. Preach. Christ performed no miracle to convince them, but it was his first work to explain the scriptures. They had looked upon his death as the destruction of their, all of their hopes, now he showed them from the prophets that this was the very strongest evidence for their faith. Yeah, the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Yeah, okay, and go. Powerful. Go. So we have a, a more sure word that we do well to heed as a light shining in the dark place, Second Peter chapter 1. And so what he's trying to do he's, is he's now realizing that he's, he's going up to the Father, right? And, and they're going to be left with the Old Testament scriptures. They're going to be writing the New Testament scriptures. They're, they're going to be people of the book. And so he's trying to now mm. establish, he's established their faith in him as the Messiah. Now he's trying to, to establish their faith in the scriptures. Scriptures as, pointing to him. Exactly. As Not just a miraculous, okay, great. And he doesn't want it just based on, and this, is, this was a, a, a real message for me. I love the, the uh, uh, fuzzies, the warm fuzzies. I, yeah. love, I love being in the presence of God. I love that experience of worship. I love being with Christ. Um, and so, so much so that, that sometimes that can diminish the importance in my mind of the scriptures. Mm. And so Jesus is giving us a very deliberate lesson here that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be with you always. I'm always going to be with you. Uh, but I, I want your faith to not be reliant on the ebbs and flows of your, of your emotions. I want or of to... signs or miracles mm -hmm. or yeah. charisma. Yeah. yeah. Or, or even, Yeah. I want you to see that uh, that this transcends. This is a story that has been written over millennia, with a a beginning, a middle, and an end. That that uh, and so Adventism has been good for me. Uh, I, I became an Adventist at 19 years old. I was baptized. Went through a rise. <laughs> it was really good. It was. Really, I baptized him. Yep. No regrets. <laughs> It was really solidifying for me in a lot of ways because I, uh, I didn't grow up having kind of uh, doctrinal knowledge and an understanding. Because you were raised in a Christian home. I was, I was raised in a Christian home, but it wasn't, there was not much of an emphasis on understanding scripture and being grounded in him. So I, I have found 
with an understanding of the big picture of Scripture, mm. I can rest in the ebbs and flows of, of my waning or waxing uh, faith or, or experience and have that concrete uh, evidence. Yeah. Right? If, and a lot of times, so anyways, the cross becomes that thing. And, and as you talk to the, uh, uh, the apologists, they all circle back to the cross. The cross is the Correct. greatest evidence, both historically speaking, scripturally speaking. Uh, you know, and just narratively speaking, narratively it's speaking, a story that could not have been made up. It is the greatest evidence of our Christian faith. Correct. And that that, and Paul was willing to say, if there was no resurrection, if the cross didn't happen, if that story is false, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Pitied. Because our whole faith is on this one thing. So he's, he's now showing that the, the cross is the center of the story. That all of the Old Testament is leading up to this moment. That it has just taken place and now we look back to the cross in the New Testament. Yeah. It is the anchor of our faith. Because she talks about the types and the symbols. Mm-hmm. That's a reference to the sanctuary. That they needed to understand mm-hmm. the sanctuary, the Old, Old Testament, Testament the, the writings of Moses, the prophets, all leading up to the point where God takes on human flesh, lives, breathes, heals, talks, yep. ministers, and then eventually dies. Like yep. it all leads up to that. Exactly. And, right. and I love what you say there. A little bit earlier, I don't remember how many chapters it was ago, but it wasn't many. Within the last oh, eight chapters, Ellen White has this line where she talks about how the words of Jesus have a self-commending quality about mm-hmm. them. She says that. A self-commending quality. And I'm so about that, Nathan, where... The greatest argument for scripture mm. is scripture. The greatest mm. argument for the cross is the cross. Mm. Th- that there is a self-authenticating, self-commending quality to these mm. things. And Jesus could have just shown up and said, here I am. <laughs> and they would be like, whoa, that was incredible. But yeah. what do they preach? All they could do then was go town to town to town right. and say to people, oh man, you should have seen when he showed us. <laughs> yeah. And then those people would say, well, can he show it to us? Well, yeah, well, no, we were just the lucky ones. Right. We got to see the magic right. show that you didn't get to see. Yep. No, right. what he does is, is he grounds them in the text so they can then take the text and go town to town, village to village, place Very to place, awesome. and show them what God showed them, what Jesus showed them, they can show to others. Mm-hmm. But it's not a magic show. Yeah. Man, I love, That's love, love that. Very, very powerful. Um, I, I love, I love also. Oh, by the way, story. Yeah, I got to say something. You go, you go, you go, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, I just love that as they talk later, later they're ref- they're reflecting on what the experience was like when Jesus was giving them a Bible study. They said, "Did not our hearts burn within us?" That's how I. I don't know. I'm sure that many in the DA would DA. I'm sure that many of you in the DA with DA Challenge have had that experience where you're reading through the Desire of Ages and mm-hmm. your heart, yes. your spirit, your soul begins to burn within you. And the Spirit of God speaks to you and yep. says, what you're reading is true. I love Amen. you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I mean, I have had that experience over and over and over and over again where I'm just in, I'm not learning. I'm learning, but I'm just, I'm just basking i'm worshiping i'm immersed and that's the experience they had they were like man didn't our hearts burn within us i love that so romans chapter 8 it says 
Uh, the Holy Spirit. Careful when you go to Romans 8. You know, that's my favorite chapter. <laughs> if you go down that, we might be there for the next hour. Go. What do you got? It's the your Spirit. favorite chapter in the New yeah. Testament. Oh, absolutely. You know, Nathan and I are getting ready to do an eight-part series on Romans 8. Oh, I love it. Like, I'll, literally, Nathan and I are going to live stream. Send me a link. Yes. I'll send you the link. Nathan <laughs> Renner and I are doing an eight-part series on Romans 8, and it's oh. called Great. Awesome. G-R-8. Okay. Eight parts on oh, Romans 8. Go. It's going to be so... Anyway, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. And if children... Romans. What it says in Romans 8, it says that we cry with groanings oh, that cannot be uttered. Oh, that's it. Yes. Dude. Oh. Nathan Cranston, I love, love you. Okay? Love it, love it. So I, I have to just say this. That point there, as they're walking and Jesus is listening and longing to save them, and they're thinking this. Listen to this. He understood the conflicting, perplexing ideas. I've already read this. I'm reading it again. That brought to their minds the thought... Can this man who suffered himself to be so humiliated be the Christ? That's the question. And, and that question is the whole tectonic thing that helps them to see what Messiah wasn't, what was expected, what he wasn't going to do, what he wasn't going to be, who he wasn't going to slay. And they're just like, how can that be the Messiah? And Jesus is like, I'm so glad you're asking that question. Opens up scripture and takes them through the sanctuary service, the great prophecies of Isaiah, the latter third of Isaiah, the suffering servant. Mm. And, and they were just like, and, and they had the experience that Paul had, where Paul says in Galatians chapter two, mm-hmm. through the law, I died to the law. Through Torah, I died to the Torah. They literally had the experience of going back and learning their own Bible, learning their own stories, learning mm-hmm. their own sanctuary system and heritage. And they thought, we never knew any of this stuff. We didn't know this. Now they put on the glasses, the lenses of Jesus, and like Matthew, who loves the word fulfilled, 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 yep. fulfilled, fulfilled. They're just seeing Jesus all over yeah. the Old Testament. Oh. And this is, you know, Paul talks about that. I could go long and hard on that, but Love 2 it. Corinthians chapter 3, the veil is lifted, the veil is taken away in Christ. Yeah, Woo! I would have loved to have been part of that Bible study. Oh, well. absolutely. what would that Bible study have been like? <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, I thought this was a great point. She says that the disciples could not remember that Jesus had said he would be raised again on the third day. She says, but the priests remember. Yeah, I, that stood out to me too. <laughs> totally. I never well, realized that before. The, the priests remembered that part. Which is why all the soldiers All were the there. soldiers were there. The disciples, yep. yeah, they had trouble remembering that part. <laughs> yep. Man, Lord have mercy. Oh. Um. You already read that incredible section, the Old Testament here. Where am I at? Here's, here's one of the one that I have highlighted. I'm not ooh, sure for this far. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Where are you at? Oh, reasoning so page, from prophecy. Page 800, paragraph three says, "Have the disciples failed? Are we not that? How far? does how does it begin? Ha, have the disciples failed to press their initiative uh, uh, invitation? Oh yeah, we're not that far yet. Give okay. me one. Second. Hold yeah. that thought. I just have to say one more thing. Sounds good. How about this paragraph? Reasoning from prophecy, Christ gave his disciples a correct idea of what he was to be in humanity. Their expectation of a Messiah who was to take his throne and kingly power in accordance with the desire of men had been misleading. And then she basically quotes Philippians 2 here without quoting it. She's never far from Philippians 2, hmm. ever. Amen. It would interfere with the correct apprehension of his descent mm-hmm. from the highest to the lowest position that could be occupied. Mm-hmm. That's Philippians 2. Yep, that's I, just, I just wanted to point that out. She's never yep. far away from Philippians 2. A couple more things and we're going to get to your All point. Right. Go ahead. Um, she says, the disciples were weary as Jesus is giving this Bible study. They're, getting, they're beginning to yawn. They're getting a little tired. She says, but the conversation never flagged. 
He then described to them the destruction of Jerusalem, which I wrote Daniel 9. I mean, that's literally, that has to be Daniel 9. Then this line, they did not think that the subject of their conversation was walking by their side for Christ referred to himself as though he were another person. Whoa, that's fascinating. They thought that he was one of those who had been in attendance at the great feast and who was now returning to his home. He walked as carefully over the rough stones now. Uh, I got to say this. He walked as carefully as they Mm -hmm. over the rough stones, now and then halting with them for a little rest. Friends, do not miss that. Mm. How cool is that, Nathan? Mm. I like it. Jesus walks with them over the rough stones in the journey to Emmaus. Mm. Jesus walks with us in our doubts, in our misunderstandings, in our sadness Mm -hmm. over the rough stones in the path of life. He walks with us along those stones. Amen. And I just thought to myself, that's incredible. And here he is in his his (sighs) glorious body. And, and so he didn't have to do he's that. He's not actually needing to rest. No, he's not actually on. getting tired. But he's like, oh, you're, oh, we're tired? Okay, we're resting now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he disappears. We're resting now. That is, yeah. She says that even before he revealed, the disciples had been drawn to him. Yeah. And then now we're at your point here. Had the disciples. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, no, you, you, you want me to read it? Yeah, go for it. Had the disciples failed to press their invitation, they would not have known that their traveling companion was the risen Lord. Yeah. Christ never forces his company upon anyone. Mm. He interests himself in those who need him. Gladly will he enter the humblest home and cheer the lowliest heart. But if men are too indifferent to think of the heavenly guest or ask him to abide with them, he passes on. Thus, many meet with great loss. They do not know Christ any more than did the disciples as he walked with them by the way. Incredible. People are hanging out with Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They're being influenced by Jesus and they don't know it's Jesus. And she says, if we don't invite him in, he'll just go, okay, it's going to carry on now. Wow, isn't that powerful? So the difference between a nominal Christianity or a lukewarm Christianity or a superficial, you know, experience with the Lord is the difference of how long do you allow Christ to linger? And how much do you invite him into the, into the inner chambers of your, of your home? How much time are you spending in intimacy with the Lord? Because the, the difference, their heart burned within them, right? That was, a, that was a great experience. But when they realized that this is the Messiah, it was so exciting that they ran eight miles in the, in the dark. In the dark, yeah. backward. Stumbling, yeah. Jesus changes everything. Doesn't she say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Listen to this line. This is in the last paragraph. We can go back to something else if you want. But listen to this. The night is dark, but the sun of righteousness is shining upon them. Their hearts leap for joy. Listen to this line. They seem to be in a new world. Wow. They seem to be in a new world. They were tired. They were fatigued. Mm. They were sad. They were in Emmaus. And then now Jesus is risen. They're uh, awake. They're on fire. They're enthusiastic. They're (laughs) headed to Jerusalem. (laughs) Like Jesus, they're in a new world now. They're in a total, it's crazy. I I didn't catch that. That's powerful. You know, I'm just going to make an illustration here and I hope you go with me on this. I love birds. I know I've said this many, many times, but one of the reasons that I love birds is that there's this whole other world, this whole other reality that's happening Mm -hmm. all around you. Mm -hmm. And if you're not attentive to it, Mm -hmm. if you're not in tune to the sounds, to the to the migration patterns, to the colors, to the, mm. if you're not in tune to it and you don't have a good set of binoculars, you'll miss it. 
There's this whole world that's going on. Okay, so wildly, today, Jose and Bernice, two beautiful people that you have to meet someday, Nathan, came over to our house and spent a little bit of time, probably an hour and a half with us, hung out. We had a great time. They've been getting into bird watching. Mm. Well, we had the scope out. We had the binoculars out. And this this like Bullock's Oriole was coming. We put these oranges on our tree and the Orioles are coming and the tanagers are coming and the nuthatches are coming and the woodpeckers are coming and the house finches are coming. And the, uh, what are, the juncos are coming. The chipping sparrows are coming. The scrub jays are coming. The stellar jays, the stellar jays are coming. All these birds, the black-headed grosbeaks are coming. All these birds are coming to our little tree. And, and today Bernice said this, and I was so happy she said it. She said, it's like a whole nother world yeah, that I didn't know was there. Exactly. Powerful. That's what happens with the risen Christ. All of a sudden, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Everything changes. The way you view yourself changes. The way you view your family changes. The way you view your money changes. The way you view the world changes. The way you view your death changes. The way you view your health changes. The way you view politics changes. Mm-hmm. The way you view recreation changes. The way you view... There's not one thing that doesn't instantly change mm-hmm. when you, you're now living in a new world. That is so powerful. Isn't that just incredible? She says, Christ is a living savior. But here's the thing. (laughs) People are living in this world, to use the birding illustration Mm -hmm. again, they're oblivious to it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm like, whoa, did you just see that Western tanager? Because I'm in tune to it. Mm -hmm. I see what others could see, but maybe they don't care about. I use that as an illustration. Mm -hmm. The living Christ wants to walk with us. He wants to teach us. He wants Mm -hmm. to be alongside us. He wants to minister to us. He wants Mm -hmm. to be so present in our life that Nathan, he's as real to me right now as you are to me. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. Amen. Beautiful. But if we're not open to that new world, based on scripture, not based on just some miraculous manifestation or the ebb and flow of emotionalism, as you said, mm-hmm. well then, and there's a lot of Christians, man, I hate to say this, there's a lot of people that are followers of Jesus that aren't living in that new world. Mm-hmm. They have the binoculars, they have the scope, mm-hmm. they have the knowledge, but they're mm-hmm. not looking at the birds. They're not living in that world. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Great. Am I going too far with this? Great analogy. I love it. That's really okay, good. Nathan, that's, that's what I got. That's what I got. Okay, here, here's um, second to last paragraph, last sentence. says, sometimes running, sometimes stumbling, they press forward. Oh. Their unseen companion close beside them Thank you, all Jesus. the way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank I, you, Jesus. I, I love that because he is, he is with them as they're on the journey. So he's with them when they're conscious of his presence. Uh-huh. He's, he's guiding them. He's teaching them. He's instructing them in scripture. But uh, when he disappears, it to, and this is, and again, going back to this point, he's getting ready to go up to, to, to heaven. He's getting ready to, to, he has planted the seed. He's, he's handed off to them the scriptures. He's given them a, an understanding Thank of you. him revealed in scripture. He then disappears immediately. To leave them with the thing. Yep. Wow, because Jesus three but and a half still years, present. he's yes. still present, but yes. Jesus three and a half years with them is that, that season is gone now. Exactly. This is a new season. Yes. That is such a great point. Woo. I love it. I'm getting goosebumps too. That is so powerful. I love it where she says, mm. this is the second to the last paragraph, but with this great news to communicate, they cannot sit and talk. Mm. Their weariness and hunger are gone. They leave their meal untasted. Come on now. It's like the woman at the well. (laughs) It's like the woman at the well. She just leaves her water pot. Forgot why she was there. And full of joy, immediately set out again on the same path by which they came, Hmm. hurrying to tell the news to the disciples in the city. In some part, the road are not safe. Now jump down to the second paragraph. I didn't read this part yet. 
This is the message they are carrying to the sorrowing ones. They must tell them mm. the wonderful story of the walk to Emmaus. That is to say their own personal testimony. Amen. They must tell who joined them by the way. They carry the greatest message ever given to the world, a message of glad tidings upon which the hopes of the human family for time and for eternity depend. Incredible. So, so powerful. And I, I think it can't be overemphasized. Hallelujah. The, the, the seen versus the unseen, that Christ is present, whether seen or unseen, as he sends his disciples out, go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the blood of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lo, I am with you always, always. even to the end of the, the earth. So whether... He's still Emmanuel. He's still God with us. And we see a lot of things in these two chapters of why they were blind. They, they, were, they were blinded because of their tears. They were blinded because of their grief. They were blinded because of their, uh, their miseducation. We yeah, 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 yeah. All of these things blind us, but it doesn't take away from the reality that Jesus is present, that Jesus is accompanying, is, is, can, is our companion in life. And all we need to do is remove the blinders. So mm. Okay, Nate, uh, let's combine these two chapters together. Yeah. Did you, do you have a word? Any word? Did you do that? Did you think I did? Word? Yeah. You did? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm, You're I'm a good mostly man. mostly ready here, yeah. Okay, let me see. So did you do a word for both chapters or one word for both? Uh, I'm going to go with one word for both. Okay, let me yeah. hear it. What's your word? My, my well, word. wait a minute. Yeah. Let's see what your guys' yeah, words yeah, yeah, are. Yeah. If you had two words, which you almost certainly did, most of you, just put a slash. So your word for why are you weeping, and then slash um, road to a match. You don't have to write it out, but just so we can see. We want to see what your words are. Okay, so somebody says believe, presence, mm -hmm. revealed. revealed. Oh, lives. Yeah, that's good. And press. Press. Why would it be press for the second chapter? Hmm. I have to think about that one. Mm -hmm. Hannah, explain that one. Burning, risen, proof. Zero. Go press. What do we miss about the press? Cassandra, you had the same word. That's that... interesting. How come I'm not thinking of that? They pressed close to him. She must have said that. Somebody explain that. Hmm. Oh, I like that, Johnny. Gardener, stranger. Gardener, stranger. That's hmm. cool. Hmm. Tell, expounded. Hmm. Tell, lessons. Empty, mm. ooh, empty. And then scripture. Scripture, Good. reliving, press forward, press on, remember. Yeah, Reiner, I'm with you on that. A lot of remembers I like that one too. In, the, in the first pair, uh, mm -hmm. chapter there. Anchor, present, faith, scripture, risen, open, press on, press forward, proclaiming that Christ had risen. Okay, that's Did the press, press on. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, because mm -hmm. she says they were absorbed in his mm -hmm. words. Um, garden, alpha, alpha, uh, press, newspaper, meet, tell, rejoice, shown, alive, revealed, unbelief, proof, greetings, joy, longed, revived, unseen. Oh, that's good. Mm. Unseen. Wow, that, that applies to both chapters. It applies to both chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well done there, Allison. Yeah. That's, that's good. Mm. Really good. Faith, joy, believe, glory, companion. Ooh, companion. Man, I really like that. Hey, Johnny, can you remind me of what yours was again? Was it stranger, gardener? Or was it gardener, stranger? Gardener, stranger. Gardener, gardener, stranger. gardener in the... Because they, yeah, they didn't recognize him, both because he was a stranger and because he was a gardener. Yeah, yeah, gardener. Okay, got it. Evidence, abide, risen, comforter, arise, says Nitro. Good for you. Okay, Nathan, what do you got? What are your words? Okay. Those are all great. 
Yeah, the, the word that I think can apply to both is searching. Searching? Mm-hmm. Okay, unpack it for us. I didn't see anybody else with that. Yeah, so searching would be that we, we see kind of the, it revolving around them trying to make sense of the world around them. They're, they're looking into the tomb. They're running into the tomb. They're, mm. they're asking, where is he? They're looking, they're looking, they're searching, they're searching. And then, of course, the, the title of the, or the question to Mary is, why do you search or why do you look for, why are you seeking the living mm. and the dead? And so that, that pursuit and, and applying it to our own lives, our pursuit of Christ, our trying to find and make sense of the risen Savior uh, is a search and that uh, Jesus is, is revealing himself to us. Mm. So search or searching? Searching is what I put, yeah. Search or search, and that's for both? Yeah. Um. Okay, so my word for the first one was the same as Reiner's. My word is remember or remembered because mm-hmm. she uses that word over and over again in that chapter. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, about remember when he said to you, remember, 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 and we're called to remember the resurrection. We're called to just live in the light. We're in a new world now, Nathan. Mm-hmm. We're in a new world. That was for the first one. Uh, why are you weeping? For me, uh, the walk to Emmaus... Um, my word is burn, 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 did not our hearts burn mm, within us. Mm. And I want that experience yeah, of the, we've had it right here tonight, man. Oh, my yeah. heart's just burned oh, within me. You've had some great insights. Oh, and so I've absolutely. got remember and burn for my I two like words. Um, okay, Nate, what was the point of this chapter? So we do the point, the person, the prayer, the practice. I'll give you the last word on these. What was the point of this Chapter for you. Okay, so I've got uh, the point being believing is seeing. Oh, very good. Believing is seeing. Excellent. Fantastic. That's uh, perfect. Okay, uh, then the person. What do we learn about the person of God or of Jesus in these two chapters that we might not have known otherwise? So I, I drew from this uh, intentional and present. So this, like the sort of strategic intentionality Mm -hmm. and then present, whether seen or unseen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that's where you were going. Great, great. I love it. Um, Okay, how do we pray this chapter or these chapters? Uh, Yeah, I I think the prayer is increase my faith, remove the obstacles, remove the the doubts, remove Mm. the the um, self-confidence, the the uh, false education, remove those things. So make that, me teachable. Yeah, make me teachable, increase my faith so that I can, so that I can see. We so see, that I can see, so that I can believe. Believing is So seeing, I can believe so that I can see. So increase my faith. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then how do, we, how do we practice this chapter? Hmm. So I, I think, I mentioned it briefly there, but I think it's in weeding out, becoming aware of the things that we do in our life that decrease our confidence in scripture. So reach. Yeah. Starting to, to kind of recognize when our emotions run away with us and we start following our grief or our, our whatever jealousy or all these different things that takes us away from scripture. Or when we start thinking that we're wise in our own eyes, all of those things start paying attention to those and uh, returning, uh, confessing those to the Lord and, and looking for them. And, and sometimes it can be even just like a lack of discipline or a lack oh, sure. of priorities. And, and we just, 
we need to be weeding out those things, mm -hmm. both logistical and ideological, that get in the way of us taking Scripture seriously. I mean, either we believe what's going on in Scripture yeah. or we don't. Right. Jesus cannot be an addendum. Scripture cannot be a part of this other... Yeah, we live this whole other life, and Scripture's like a Lego piece that we add on. <laughs> yeah. it's, we're either living in a whole new yeah. world, as she says there, yeah. or we're not. And so we need to be clearing away the dross, whether, again, it's just like logistical or discipline or time management or actual ideas or emotionalism or things that we're imbibing and embracing yeah. that are causing the importance of Scripture and the primacy of Scripture to be decreased. Well, because well, as that happens, then faith will be decreased. And then we won't be able to see. Yeah. Because believing is seeing. Yeah. Believing is seeing. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this. Isn't Nathan a gigantic blessing? <laughs> Nathan, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and yeah. um, I, I think you're going to get a good night's rest tonight. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling the 11 hours in a car. Yeah. <laughs> an hour and so 45 minutes with me on DA with DA. I mean... Wasn't this good? I love this. Aren't this, you glad you I, said yes? I saw so many things that I didn't see in the preparation. Oh, dude, so. you and I both. You, you, took <laughs> it a, so cool. you took several things in a direction I was like, I would not have said that. And wow. I loved this point about the education and yeah. how we imbibe things that prevent us from yeah. believing, which prevents us from seeing. And I love yeah. the emphasis on Christ is with us, whether seen or unseen. Yeah. Present, whether... And he's trying to... What were your two words? Your, your words was search... Intentional and present. Oh, searching was the word. Searching and then your second? Or searching was for both? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we uh, you got a lot of thank yous on there, Nathan. Everybody's thanking you. Oh, good to see everybody. We love you all. Uh, tomorrow we're in chapters, what, 80, what did we do today? 82 and 83. So tomorrow we're in chapters 84 and 85. We're going to throw them together because, if I'm not mistaken, Nathan, won't, you won't be with us tomorrow, will you? I invited Nathan to stay. For another day and go rock climbing with me tomorrow. Oh, my, don't even say that. I <laughs> asked Nathan, Nathan tonight, you need to pray about this. You need to pray about it. I invited him to stay. And if he did say he could do another DA with DA with us. We could go rock climbing tomorrow. But oh, no pressure. I'm not, I'm not someone to manipulate. So, Marsha, know that you were loved. <laughs> We're coming back to be with you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, let's see. The two chapters are Peace Be With You, which is chapter 84, which isn't terribly long. Uh, looks like sort of six pages. And then By the Sea Once More, which is, is that a little longer? No, not too bad. So we'll do two chapters again tomorrow, uh, 84 and 85. God bless you all. Have a great night. Uh, lots of thank yous, Nathan. Nathan is tired. <laughs> yeah, you can see it in my He eyes, is tired. Though. He's tired. What bless a champ. Guys. Um, hey, let me, we didn't pray yet, did we? Yeah, we haven't. Okay, let me pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for Pastor Nathan being with us here tonight. And Lord, thank you for the insight, the wisdom that you gave him. And Father, thank you that like we learned there with the, the women that were not believed, that you speak to us through others. Mm, and Father, that, that that is just as um, viable of, of a revelation of you as would be a miraculous revelation. Father, you want to teach us things from others. You want us to see things through the perspective of others. And Father, tonight we've had a living example of that. You've brought Nathan to mm. us and you've made these two chapters better than they would have otherwise been because the Spirit moved on him mm. and then he shared with us. And Father, we've been blessed. And so, Father, we're right here at the end, like the end end mm. of DA with DA and it has been absolutely incredible. Help us to remember, Father, that we live in a new world. Amen. A new world. Teach us how to live in that new world as new creatures is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.